Morning. Morning. Welcome back to the Grange. Yes. I think my first Sunday I preached here, uh, officially installed as one of the elders, it was snowing. So here we go. Is this, this was a pattern to come. But, you know, that's, whew. I could use, could, could use a break. I remember driving uh, in Kentucky to uh, the first church I ever pastored at. And there was a sign at another church that said, whoever's praying for the snow, please stop. And uh, I know it's good for business in certain places, so that's, that's uh, my arms are tired <laughs> from shuffling. Goodness. So if you made it this morning, uh, yes, I, that's, uh, we are glad that you're here. We are going to jump back into Philippi, into the Philippians. Starting in chapter 2, just a little bit of housekeeping for our sermon series. Really, the next, the next four sermons, we're going to be in chapter 2, verses 1 through, I believe, about 18. However, I'm going to be chopping that into about four different sermons. Uh, the first one will be more practical application, and then the two in the middle will be more on Christ, his person, and his work, and then... The final one will be, uh, the fourth one will be more on practical application. That's always subject to change, but just so you know, that's where we'll be uh, in the next, really for about the next month in Philippians 2. Today, we'll be in Philippians 2, 1 through 8. We'll emphasize more on verses, uh, well, 1, 1 through 5. Let me, let me read it. The title of today's sermon is One Word, Humility. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort from love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and sympathy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should not, or everyone should look not to his own interest, but rather to the interest of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Uh, let us pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, God, Lord, the uh, eternal incarnate Son, God the Son incarnate, who uh, has, has given us... Um, the, the definition and exact picture of humility, Lord, and, and what we should seek after as the church and what we must have uh, as, as the highest trait, Lord, and other to do what Paul says in this letter, God. 
Lord, we pray that we would be able to uh, not, not just be followers of Christ, Lord, but as we proclaim your word, especially through this passage, Lord, in the next upcoming month, God, that your son, Jesus Christ, and who he is and what he has done and what you, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have done for us, Lord, would be exalted, God, that you would be glorified and there would be a clear picture of who he is and what he has done. The Son of God who became human in order to die for sinners like us, Lord, and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, Lord, and is exalted. God, we pray that you would make that quite clear. In Jesus' name, amen. We've... We've been out of Philippians for a few weeks now, as you all know, so in order to refresh our memories, we'll begin by summarizing the letter in a sentence, which is focusing on the person and work of Christ will create unity in the church, place joy in the heart of the believer, and bring joy in the midst of the suffering Christian. If you remember, that's my own summarization, and of course, if you went back to the first sermon and listened to it, you would see there's been a little bit of alterations uh, as I just studied through Philippians, but for the main uh, part, it's, it's the same. So you don't have to memorize that sentence, right? Uh, in fact, I'd prefer as you study through Philippians, you'd you know, develop your own. And the reason that, that I do it and keep coming back to it is because understanding the themes and the main theme of a specific book of the Bible. It'll help us learn what it's about. It will help us stay on track as we read through it and preach through it concerning what the author is writing about. And that will continue to serve as a tool as we study God's word even further. So from time to time as we go through Philippians or any book of the Bible, I will reiterate what the letter is about and specifically here that Paul's letter to the Philippians is about focusing on the person and work of Christ. And by doing that, when we do that, it will create unity within the church, us as Christians. It'll place joy in the heart of believers. And it will, focusing on the person and work of Christ, will provide joy in the midst of your suffering. That's precisely what the Apostle Paul spurs them on to do in this passage he continues on with the same unifying message from where we just left off a few weeks ago in, in chapter 1. If you recall, he told the Philippians to live a life worthy of our calling as citizens of heaven. And then he said, and you do that by contending for the gospel, remaining united as the church of Jesus Christ, and by remembering that our identity in Christ trumps every other one of our identities. And now in this week's passage, picking up in chapter 2, Paul says, look, if, if then, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and sympathy for one another, which, which, is, which is really just long for saying, look, if there's any traces of Christ's blood throwing through, flowing through your veins, any evidence that the Spirit has given you new life, any brotherly love, any sympathy for one another at all. If there's any signs that you belong to Jesus, then make my joy complete by doing what I say next. Think as one. Love as one. Unite as one. 
in one cause. Do nothing out of selfishness or arrogance. Don't look to your own interests, but make sure you're concerned about the needs of others. And finally, consider others more important than yourselves. There's the application. And then he says, now here's how you do it. In verse 5, consider the attitude of Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Paul's reiterating on, on these first four verses on being unified as the church of Christ and says, look, in order to do that, in order to be unified, in order to be focused in one purpose, <laughs> to contend together, to consider others more highly than yourself, to look out for the needs of others and not just yourself, in order to do that, there's one specific element required, humility. And we'll see today, if we're going to have the humility of Christ, we will need the humility to submit, and we will need the humility to serve. Let's start with humility to submit. And just so you know, no human likes that word submit. No one likes to submit. It goes against our flesh and, and our pride. and Yeah. It's no more fun to read through it during the week and let the Lord convict me of sin as it is for me to preach it to you and the Lord to do the same thing. So, uh, but it's good and it's needed. And as the music we sang today, when we find ourselves in, in desperate need of our Savior, He's there for us and He died for us to forgive us of our sins, even when we're prideful, even when we're arrogant, even when we're sinful in all the ways that He says, even when we don't want to submit. When we go to the Lord, He will forgive us. Humility. Paul says, make my joy complete, thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And thinking the same way, it's a good starting point, because if the church cannot agree that our minds should be shaped and molded and really unified together, we can't go any further. If we can't agree that the basis of that unification is also the word of God, then we will continue to remain a people who are divided and constantly change at, at, at the direction at whichever the secular culture winds blow. In other words, what, what this world says is most important will be what we preach about, will be what we agree upon, will be what, will be what transforms our lives. But the love of the world and the love of God are different, says John in his first epistle. We unify on the word of God. How could we possibly think the same way if there was no standard? Think if we didn't have the word of God. What if there was no standard of truth to direct us? We would have no standard to love the same or to unite, to be unified. We wouldn't even, if there was no standard to base unity off of, we wouldn't know what the common cause or practice of the church should even be. 
And you can imagine two Christians meeting for coffee at Starbucks or Argonaut. Well, one would say to the other, well, this, this is what we should be focused on. And the other one would say, no, this is what we should be focused on. Neither would be able to substantiate their claims without, without, without some substance, without some standard. They just continually rambling back and forth. I and mean, if you think about it, we have the word of God, right? We know what the standard is, and yet you still hear Christians rambling back and forth on what's the most important. Imagine if we didn't have it. If those two Christians at the coffee shop had something tangible, something that they, could, that they could set before themselves and search out in order to find the correct answer, they'd be able to substantiate their claims. They'd be able to say, this is what we should be focused on, and they could prove it. Especially if what was set before them was breathed out by God, was breathed out by the Holy Spirit and preserved throughout the ages. All Scripture is breathed out by God. And so the role of the church and each individual Christian is, is to lay our Bibles before ourselves and say, all right, God, what do you say about this? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. What do you say I'm supposed to do? How do you say I'm supposed to love? How do you say I'm supposed to vote? How do you say I'm supposed to give? How do you say I'm supposed to love my wife? What does the Bible teach about this? That is the role of the church and, and, and our duty as Christians individually. And once we've studied and, and asked God and he's revealed it through his word and we come to an understanding, the next step is to submit to that teaching even if we don't like the outcome of it. That's humility to submit but it's humility to submit to the Lord. And humility toward one another says, look, some things we must agree upon. Some things we can't waver on. Some things we can disagree, yet we can remain charitable toward one another. Commentator uh, Cranfield, I actually don't even know his first name. His commentator on First Peter said, unity will only come when Christians are humble and bold enough to lay hold on the unity already given in Christ and to take it more seriously than their own self-importance and to make of those deep differences of doctrine which originate in our imperfect understanding of the gospel in which we dare not belittle it's not an excuse for letting go of one another or staying apart, but rather an incentive for a more earnest seeking and fellowship together to hear and obey the voice of Christ. What's his point? Until the church becomes united with an unbreakable bond from which we have in common through Christ, we will let what is not common disrupt the peace and fellowship that we have been given by Christ. And, and Cranfield, he didn't dismiss the importance of doctrine, but rather he says our disagreement is an incentive 
It's the reason we should come together for the purpose of seeking to understand what God's word is about and not letting our current understanding or disagreement divide us. And in order to do that, it's going to take humility from both parties. Even if you're the one who's correct, the way you treat your fellow Christian is of greater value than where you land on that issue. But there's also humility needed for the one who says, I don't need the Bible. I don't need the Bible in order to, to be more like Jesus or, or to shape me or to mold me. I don't need the Bible to inform me how to think. Loved ones, yes we do. And it's only pride that says we don't. That's precisely what Paul tells, he's saying to the Romans in chapter 12 to renew their minds so that they may be able to test and discern the will of God, what is good. He tells them, don't be conformed to this world because it's easy to do. But be transformed. Don't conform to the world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God. What is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't be conformed to this world. Think about it. This world has a lot to throw at us. All the temptations, evil from, from darkness and the evil one that puts before us. And with our earthly flesh that is still prone to leave the God that we love. And with all the knockoff brands of Christianity, of our own religion. We, above all people, must have a steady diet of God's word. Just like us, the Romans, Philippians, they're prone to fear what man thinks. We and they were prone to be desensitized to their culture. I mean, think about what we would allow or be okay with being on TV 50 years ago as to what's being on TV these days. Why don't we have as much problem with it these days? Because we can just be so easily desensitized to it. It just doesn't bother us as much as it used to. We, we're, we're even prone. The heart above all things is deceitful. We're prone to deceive, uh, to deceive ourselves and to manipulate ourselves. We do that. We fear man. We get desensitized. And, 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 we, and we even look the other way or overlook certain things and have blind spots. And we all do. But, but what Paul says is, look, yeah, that happens to all of us. But the way you overcome that, the way we all overcome that, that infiltration is by fighting it with truth. The truth of God's word. It's the word of God which God has designated to lead and guide his people. It's one of the first King James Version verses. We, we, we learn and teach our kids, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto our path. Your, your, your word, your law, your way, Lord, your truth, your standard is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And therefore, without it, we can only walk in darkness. Psalm 119, 105. Sorry, I forgot the. Well, you probably all have that verse memorized anyway. 
probably in the King James Version too. It just doesn't sound right in modern English. The church of all people must be a people who agree to learn, study, and submit to the authority of Scripture. John Stott, he said it wonderfully. Scripture is the royal scepter by which King Jesus rules his church. That's good. We've, we've never been a people called to develop new doctrines, to teach new doctrines. Right? We've always been a people called to submit to the doctrines that we've been handed down by the prophets and apostles. So, if we're going to have the same mind or think the same way as Paul says, we first got to agree that the word of God is what we base our submission upon. And, and, and I guess an, an encouraging word. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, let's give you some encouragement. As Christians, we always, you always hear these grand ideas. Just imagine, what if? What if the whole church did this? Or what if the whole church did that? And as and I thought about that, that's great. What, what if every member in the church of Christ, not just Cornerstone, every, every Christian, examined the scripture so that they could submit themselves to God and unite to one another in grace and truth? Now what a sight that would be. Because if we truly want to find a church that is filled by the spirit of God, you need look no further than a church that is saturated by the word of God. The Bible is our standard of love, Unity, purpose, and worship. Humility to serve. This one's much harder for me than to agree the word of God is what we should submit to. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit or arrogance, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should not look to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Now the verses seem pretty straightforward. Don't be selfish. Care about the needs of others. Consider others more important than yourselves. Even when we look at that word humility that, that Paul uses in Philippians 2 and, and, and in humility Christ humbled, or Christ humbled himself. In humility consider, I looked, what's, what's the definition of the Greek word? You know, and really it's just to lessen one's rank. That was it. I was like, wow, I was looking for this huge definition that would just blow minds away. Now, there's pride, right? Oops, well, there's your definition. Lessen one's rank. That's it. Just lessen one's rank. That's all it said. And then like the Greek lexicon of lexicons. Lesson rank. I mean, it may be easy to understand what Paul is saying here. Right? Don't be selfish. Care about others. Consider others more important. It's much harder to apply, right? I mean, saying don't be selfish is much easier than actually not being selfish. James, right, picks up in his book on that notion, like, don't just be hearers of the word. We can say, you know, don't be selfish. Amen. Right? But he says, like, don't just be hearers of the word. Be doers of the word. It can be hard to apply what we know to be true. Now, Paul, 
gives it great definition of selfishness to Timothy and what he describes the culture to be when he refers to the last days. In the last days, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now I'm not as concerned how you interpret last days as I am how you and I measure up to the categories that Paul lists out here. I mean, if I'm honest, I may, I may not be all of these or even some of these all of the time. But I, I can't go through this list without personally identifying with multiple sins that Paul discloses here. Which means I, I, I can identify this with this very, very easily. And if my judgment is correct... Some of you probably struggle with this just as much as I do. And this, this isn't a moment to beat yourself up, loved one. I mean, it, it's true. Maybe some of us do need a stiff kick in the pants. But maybe we also need reminded that, that the word of God is useful to reveal the condition of our hearts so that it may drive us to the Lord in complete dependence of his grace for the forgiveness of these sins and to be transformed into something greater than these sins, which is the image of Christ. You see, so don't stand condemned when you say, I identify with that too. Instead of identifying with that, identify with the cross of Jesus Christ and the blood that was shed to forgive these sins. That these, these sins are meant to drive you to your need and dependence for God, not away from Him. And therefore, we, we, we have to have the humility to say, all right, Lord, where do I measure up to this? Where do I measure up to any issue you have, Lord? But right here in verses 3 and 4, the issue that we must measure with the Word of God is selflessness or selfishness. And it's quite important because at the very heart of Christianity, you have a religion intended to be selfless, not selfish. If, if we think back to the royal law, if we think back to the Sermon on the Mount last week, if you were there, or Matthew 7, where verse 12, where Jesus said, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. This is the whole Old Testament. Whole law and the prophets. It's crazy. Jesus gave us two commands, right? Love the Lord your God, love the neighbor as yourself. And we just take this and examine our own heart. Who's able to say, yeah, I I love others like I love myself all of the time? I couldn't. Not all of the time. I don't even know if half the time. I, I don't even know if I want an honest reflection of the percentage. I mean, if you want to hear how sinful my heart is at times, here we go. And now that my wife's back, this is where she typically cringes because she doesn't know what illustration or story I'm about to give. Welcome back. 
when I make something uh, for my family to eat, and they're sitting, waiting for me to bring it to them, I look at what piece is best. You know, it could be pizza, it could be bacon, and I have to stand there while they're waiting to eat, fighting within me internally about it's better to give than to receive. But I look at that and I'm like, this is a struggle. This is a struggle because I want that peace for myself. I mean, if you just think about our hearts, just in small matters or what seems small as that, the heart of humanity is so tainted with the sin of selfishness that while my family's waiting to eat because they're hungry, I'm pregnant, I'm battling at the stove whether or not to give them this slice of pizza with more pepperoni or not. And I'm certain Paul was aware of our propensity to self-serve. So, so he says to the Philippians, look, don't do anything out of selfish ambition. Because that path, that path just leads to a life that's determined to think more highly of yourself than you should. Therefore, in humility, in humility, lessen your rank. Consider others as more important than yourselves. As I, as I thought about verse 3 in, in that, that, that portion, consider others more important than yourselves, I came to the conclusion it just may, I'm not certain, but just may be possible that the core issue here is not our unwillingness to help others. Rather, the heart of the issue is that it's difficult for us to consider others more important than ourselves. And the greatest lesson that I was taught, or at least convicted about, is that if we don't or cannot begin serving one another with, with this attitude in mind that says, you're more important than me, having that at the front end, even before we begin to serve them, they need this more than I do, or, or, or they just need this. I'm not as important right now. I'm going through a lot, but this person really needs this right now more than I do. If, if we can't have that mindset, then it will become easy for us to give them what they need, but it will be near impossible to do it with joy. Yeah. I can make food. I can serve food. I can give. What can I do with joy? That, that was the conviction. We can serve, we can give, we can go beyond all of our neighbor's expectations, but if we cannot have the mindset that says you're important, then serving just becomes a burden rather than a blessing. Self-centeredness is no secret. We've all been tempted. We've, we've all been taught to believe that the center of the universe revolves around us. At least society would love us to believe that, but it does not. Right? The center of the universe does not revolve around us. It revolves around the one who created the universe and who sustains it by his power alone. And then when we, and as we continue in verse 5, Paul is going to use the humility of the creator and sustainer as the example by which we are to be marked with. The humility of Christ. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, 
who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Something to point out about the flow of Paul's thought through these first eight verses, right? Especially for the brand of Christianity that says studying the Bible, learning doctrines of God, all that theology stuff is not for me. I just want to love Jesus and I just want to love others. I don't need to do all the other stuff. Yet, what we see Paul saying in this passage, hey, if you want to truly love others, if you want to truly serve others and not be selfish, but be selfless, if you truly want to be Christ-like, you're actually going to have to find out exactly who Jesus is and precisely what he has done. In other words, if you want to be like Jesus, you're going to have to know your Bible. You're going to have to study these things. Yeah, likewise, if we as a church are going to be who Paul says the Philippians should be, then we too must strive to learn who Jesus is, and we must dive deeply into the works of our great Savior. Let me, let me transition back into the humility of Christ. Because ne- next week we will focus on Christ and his work. More, sorry, more. Uh, recently, the, the elders gave me a book. I think it's called Deacons, and it's for Deacons. It's from uh, Nine Marks. It's good. Uh, and, and they give that book to those who are being considered as being called as a deacon. My favorite part of that book uh, is when the author points out in Mark 10 that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but rather to serve. And what I loved about it is that the author shows is the word used to serve is the Greek word deacon. So in other words, he says, the son of man did not come to be deaconed, but rather to deacon. And I love it. It almost made me want to be a deacon. I would just pump my heart for deacons. And I was like, man, that's, that's solid. And I didn't know that. And I didn't know that. But, but it's Mark 10. That, that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but rather to serve. Is, it's a great description of the humility of Christ, and that's exactly what Paul is proclaiming here. This humility. That Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God. Instead, he emptied himself, becoming a human. And when he did become a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death and even death on a cross. What Paul is trying to express here is that the eternal Son of God, who, who, who is the radiance of God's glory in the exact imprint of his nature, that he, he didn't use that reality to his advantage when he dwelt on earth. Instead, Jesus veiled that equality to the point he willingly went to the cross to face the wrath of God for sinners such as you and me. 
That's the application. It is. It's, 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 he's worthy to be worshipped. When we get into it, that's why he's going to be exalted, because he's worthy. If you, if you think about what, what Paul is saying here, Jesus never used his status as creator as an excuse not to serve those he created. The one who uses the earth as his footstool never used that as an excuse not to wash the feet of his disciples. The one who said, I have the power to raise this life up, never used that as justification to keep him from laying his life down. That is the type of humility that Paul says we must strive for. That type of humility is what's necessary to be of one mind. That type of humility is what's necessary to strengthen the bonds of unity among us. That type of humility is, is what it's going uh, to make us consider the person's needs. Sitting next to us is more value than our own. At the very core of humility, the church must come to realize that only when we are willing to die with one another will we truly be able to live with one another. And therefore, May the humility of cross, excuse me, may the humility and the cross of Christ be the equalizer of the church. Let us pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, God, Lord, not only do I pray for this sermon, but I pray for the sermons to come, the task of, of teaching and, and, and proclaiming the deity and humanity God the Son incarnate, Lord, to bring glory to the triune God. Lord, I pray that you would be with us in that time, God, that you would draw us near to you, that we wouldn't just shake these words off or forget them, Lord, but that we would, we would be drawn to the need for our Savior and, and, and run to the cross of Christ, Lord. And that we would focus on who he is and, and specifically his humility to help be the foundation building blocks of our own DNA, Lord. So through the strength of the spirit and submission to your word, we may have the humility to serve others with joy and to consider them more worthy than ourselves, Lord. God, we ask this to your glory. Amen.